Hey, good morning. Uh, today's reading will be from Philippians uh, ch- chapter 4, verses uh, 4 to 9. Philippians 4, 4 to, 4 to 9. If you're reading from the Blue Pew Bible, you can find today's reading on page 982. Uh, once again, today's reading will be from Philippians 4, 4 through, 4 through 9. If you're reading from the Blue Pew Bible, you can find today's reading on page 982. Please rise for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Morning, church. For those of you who are new here and worshiping with us, my name is Henry. I serve as a minister here at Houston Chinese Church. I will not be preaching to you this morning, but we do have a guest preacher, Pastor Nathan Wang, and I would like to introduce him to you. Pastor Nathan Wang has been serving at West Houston Chinese Church as the executive pastor for six years, overseeing vision execution, leadership development, and business operations. Having first received the call to ministry while at Texas A&M, very good, he journeyed with his parents in accepting and discerning the call to ministry by first getting his master's in public health, then working as an infectious disease epidemiologist, which is fitting in this season, while completing his THM at Dallas Theological Seminary's Houston Extension Campus. He is married to Hannah, is a proud dad of Ada and Micah, who is starting second and kinder this week. And I'd like to just add an extra word that I enjoyed our time together as we traveled to Austin, just getting to know your story and how you were called to ministry. And if you ever have a chance to hear that story, I'm sure that it will be an encouragement to you. Uh, let's give Pastor Nathan Wang a warm HCC welcome as he preaches God's word to us. Well, good morning, HCC. I heard a lot of uh, whoops out there, so good to know. Uh, We're not just in uh, rice land, Uh, (laughs) so um, it's a joy and it's a privilege to be here. Um, I was uh, just reminiscing with uh, Wilson just earlier this morning. Uh, We used to play, you know, I I remember our times post-college of playing football in the Med Center, basketball near Rice Village on Saturdays before you know, we got married, had kids now, and, you know, this was over 10 plus years, and just to see the faithfulness, the perseverance of many of those men um, continue to serve in ministry today, it's just been a huge encouragement. Uh, And and I just want to say a note, um, uh, I know you know this, church, um, 
But you guys have a great community here. You have a great pastoral team. I've had the uh, privilege of being able to, to serve alongside with Pastor Jason, Henry, Stan, um, and just to see um, the camaraderie, the, the brotherhood, the, the, the partnership that we have together as churches to reach this city with the gospel. It's been uh, such a blessing to be uh, a witness to that. So let me, uh, let, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to hear from his word. Heavenly Father, gracious God, we come before you today filled with things that are going on in our hearts, whether it's anxiety about the new school season, school year, whether it's about our work, our home life, family life. God, we come to you this morning in this time and in this space, surrendering all of that to you. We ask that your spirit would fill our hearts this morning as we hear your word. And Lord, that you would do the work that only you can do to transform our hearts and our lives for your glory and for our joy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like Henry mentioned, uh, I grew up in the Houston area. I grew up in uh, Sugarland, Missouri City, uh, went to Fort Bend ISD schools, um, and, you know, going to college, didn't stray too far, uh, came back for grad school, and so Houston has been my home. And if you're a believer here in Houston, you probably uh, listen to radio stations. Uh, I don't know if that's still a thing with streaming now, but uh, there's a main Christian radio station that maybe you guys are all aware of. Um, I grew up listening to KHCB, which is the old school sermon preaching. You know, that's uh, sermons all the time. Uh, but KSBJ, that's the, the worship radio station, the Christian radio station here. And, and one of the things that if you've listened to it enough throughout the year, you'll notice that during the Christmas season, in addition to playing Christmas songs all the time, and they do something uh, that's pretty interesting that I picked up on. It's called the Joy Pledge. I don't know if you've Anyone has heard of that? Um, I know it's August now, so it's been a few months. But the Joy Pledge um, is something that they do. They, they get people, everyday people, go on the radio and just say a few sentences just to remind the listeners that in the hubbub of all the shopping and all of the hosting of the parties, that there is a reason for the season. And, and so the Joy Pledge goes something like this. I need joy, and when I keep my eyes on Jesus, I have joy. When I lose it, I will choose it. I choose joy. And so when I was thinking about this passage this morning, that came to mind, the, the choice, the decision to choose joy. Joy isn't something that, it is something that we can actively pursue. As, uh, there's something about this reminder that as believers in Jesus Christ, that we are no longer bound to our sinful ways, but that through the Holy Spirit, we can choose that which is good. Instead of allowing external circumstances and the actions of others to shape, to dictate our emotions and decisions, we can and must choose joy. As Paul nears the end of the letter to the Philippians in the passage we just read together, Paul is reminding the church of the importance 
of choosing joy in the Christian life, especially because it has the power to transform three areas of our lives, our testimonies, our trials, and our time. Um, like any good DTS sermon, we've got the three points in alliterative form. In our passage today, we'll see a grammatical structure repeated three times. An internal command, followed by an external command, followed by a promise. In other words, in three separate instances, Paul commands us to do something in our inner life that's followed by a command to visibly demonstrate that in our uh, external life, followed by a promise. So first, let's take a look at the transforming power of joy in our testimonies. Now, despite being persecuted and unfairly imprisoned, Paul remained joyful. And he wanted the church in Philippi and the church today to know how joy has the power to transform our testimonies. Now, this is why Paul repeats the command in verse 4 to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And this is Paul's first command for our inner life, the decision to choose joy. The, to rejoice is one that we must first make in our hearts and in our minds. This ought to be an active pursuit, an active decision on the part of the follower of Jesus to choose joy no matter the circumstance. Note that we are to rejoice in the Lord, not only when there's a reason to celebrate, not just when things are going well, but always, all the time. We are to rejoice in our sufferings. We are to rejoice when things don't go our way. We are to rejoice when we experience sickness or grief and loss. Why? Because to rejoice in the Lord is to choose a mindset that is grounded in the unchanging character and love of God. To rejoice in the Lord is to make a conscious decision to say that my contentment, my emotions, my attitude, my way of life is going to be found in Christ alone. Now, there is nothing in this world that He has not already endured and overcome. Now, there is nothing in this world that can add or take away from what He has already secured for me on the cross. To rejoice in the Lord is to say that I have found all my worth on my identity in Christ himself. And nothing can move me from that. Nothing can shake me from that. Grounding our joy in the Lord is foundational to the Christian life. It is akin to building our house on the rock versus the sand. Is our joy secure in Christ, or is it going to wither away when hardships come? Friends, this conscious act to choose joy is what transforms our testimonies. As Christians, people are watching you and how you react to the things in this life that we all experience. Are you going to get angry like the rest of us when someone cuts you off in traffic? Or are you going to get despondent when you encounter something out of control, out of your control, like grief or suffering? Paul commands in verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Other translations have it as, let your gentleness be seen by all. This is Paul's external command. The decision to choose joy will and should have visible consequences. 
And Paul himself demonstrated this earlier in chapter 1, verse 12, where he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul chose to rejoice in the Lord in all circumstances, so that even in his imprisonment, instead of being bitter or frustrated or angry, he saw it as an opportunity for the gospel to advance. And this not only resulted in Christ being proclaimed, it also strengthened the faith of the other brothers, because everyone is watching. How was Paul able to do that? Well, he had in mind the promise of Christ's imminent return. Paul ends verse 5 by saying, the Lord is at hand. The promise that the Lord is near and returning soon gives us hope that whatever circumstance we find ourselves in is not the end of the story. That redemption and justification will be fully realized when Christ returns so that we are able to persevere and rejoice in our current circumstances. Henry mentioned a little bit about my story. My journey with my parents and entering into the pastoral ministry would last over 10 years. I, as a pre-med, biomedical sciences major, my goal going into college, or rather my parents' goal, was for me to go to med school, become a doctor, and then I could do anything I wanted. But as I grew in my faith in college, I began to sense the Lord calling me into pastoral ministry. As my devotion to Christ grew and my involvement in the church and in a varsity increased, it seemed to create more and more tension, more and more arguments between us, to the point where there was a season in which we didn't even talk. It was very hard uh, for me in that time, because I was convinced that I was to join IV staff after graduating, and I couldn't understand why my parents, who were Christians, super involved at church, couldn't support me in that. Until God made it clear one day that I had placed my joy in the prospect of serving in ministry. My joy in all the fun that I had in college ministry instead of placing my joy in Him and His plans for me, which was to take the long road of walking with my parents through that process instead of burning that bridge that would have happened. So when they saw me year after year persevere in experiencing joy in the Lord and pursuing being equipped and trained in ministry while working full-time, they couldn't deny that this is what the Lord had planned for me and that the Lord was the one calling me into this. You see, we've all seen the power of Christian testimonies, haven't we? Whether it's at school or at work or in the home, all of us who are followers of Jesus need to remember to rejoice in the Lord always because we're always being watched. Those of us with young kids know uh, they're always watching us, imitating us, even sometimes, often, the things that we don't want them to imitate. It's, whether it's our youth or our co-workers or our classmates, even our parents, they're all watching how we will respond 
to the everyday things in this life and whether your faith in Christ makes a difference or not. Joy has the power to transform our testimonies, but not only that, we can also see the transforming power of joy in our trials. Having received Paul's letter while he's in prison, hearing about Epaphroditus, one of their very own co-workers, and how he almost died completing his mission, and having to deal with false teachers and division within the faith community, the church in Philippi would have had much to be anxious about. What's going to happen to those we love? How are we to address the conflicts and the disagreements within the church and to be, begin to see unity happen? When will Christ return and make all things new again? In verses 6 through 7, Paul gives another set of commands and a promise. He begins again by addressing the mind. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, if you're someone who just naturally worries and is anxious about everything, telling you to not worry and to stop worrying isn't going to be super helpful. We can't help it even if we know that there's nothing good that comes when we worry, just as Jesus said in Luke 12, 25 to 26. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? In addressing our minds, Paul is telling us that our minds and our thoughts should be focused on rejoicing in who God is instead of being anxious about the world around us. We're to choose joy instead of choosing worry. Why? Because Jesus finishes that thought in Luke 12. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. We're to choose joy and satisfaction and contentment in God our Father because he is the one who loves us unconditionally. He is the one who knows our needs before we even know them. And he is the one who will provide. This is why Paul sees this command to not be anxious, lived out, expressed, and let your requests be made known to God. The way we demonstrate our obedience to the command to not be anxious is to pray. Paul uses Four different words for prayer here. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, requests. To emphasize the importance of going to God in prayer, but really the foundation is this. We are to make our requests known to God. There is something about physically expressing the things in our heart to God that Paul wants them to experience, whether it's through praying out loud, sharing it within our small group, writing in our prayer journal, simply just thinking it in our head doesn't, just, doesn't cut it. You know, too often we hold so many thoughts in our head that we become distracted. A grocery list uh, here, 
a to-do list there, things, conversations, and meeting people. You're trying to note um, people's names and, and all of the things. This is why I need to write things down when people talk to me. Otherwise, I'll, I'll end up forgetting it. I mean, is it possible to just go to God in our thoughts? Does God hear you if you think your prayers? Of course, He does. But here, Paul is emphasizing the fact that we are to make it known to God. In the same way that we are to make our gentleness, our reasonableness, known to everyone. There ought to be a visible expression of an internal heart decision. Why? Because it's less about whether God receives our prayers, He does, but more of us actually letting go and giving over control over the things in the world that are causing us to be anxious. When we pray out loud, when we write in our journals, we can only do so one thing at a time. We can only write one word, one sentence at a time. And so physically doing that helps us to release those things to God. Why is it important that we go to God in prayer first as opposed to when we've run out of options? It's because when we do that, when we actively choose to rejoice in the Lord instead of being anxious, when we let go of our tendencies to worry and bring those requests to God, He promises His peace. This phrase, the peace of God. Interestingly, this is the only time we see this phrase in the New Testament. Usually we think of having peace with God, but here what Paul is saying is that we have chosen, when we have chosen, to rejoice in Him, have laid down our worries and our anxieties before Him. He promises His own peace, a peace that we cannot comprehend, we cannot manufacture on our own, we cannot even justify in the most difficult of situations. It's a peace that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What does it mean that the peace of God can guard our hearts and minds? The word choice here has the meaning of protecting or or keeping. So we can understand that the promise is that the peace of God protects our, our minds and our hearts from falling into anxiety and worry when we go to Him in prayer and choose to rejoice and find contentment in Him. When our joy is found in Christ our Savior, everything else falls to the wayside and don't feel as weighty as they did before <clears throat> as they did before earlier this week as i was preparing this message god was teaching me this very lesson you see there are some preachers who can prepare their message wherever they're at whatever time they're given 15 minutes there let me work on it 30 minutes we're in the drive through i'm going to still you know keep 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 hitting at it me, I need chunks of time. I need uh, no distractions. I need the, the audio pads, you know, in the background, inspirational music um, uh, to, to kind of get me in the mood to write. And typically, Mondays being my day off, you know, that's the day that I get most of my work done. But this Monday, this past Monday, being the last week before school starts, uh, the kids were with me. I was waiting on an appliance repairman to come, and I was looking at my schedule this week, and I was just like, where, where am I going to find the time to get this message written? Now, there are some days when the kids, they can play for hours. This is one of the benefits of the pandemic when they were forced to play with one another. Uh, they could play for hours on their own at home, and I can get some quiet time to myself, but not this Monday. 
They got bored early. They wanted to go somewhere and do something. But, you know, we had to stay home because the repairman was like, it's a six-hour window that, you know, I can get there. It's just making me wait. So I tried negotiating with the kids. Okay, I'll give you extra snacks if you just give me one hour to work. Uh, Or let's go to the grandparents' house. You know, we go there already. Uh, But they had nothing of it. And I found myself grumbling. I found myself complaining. And, you know, the power of the word, when you're reading it, and it's like, oh, man, what's gotten into me? What's going on? What's going on in my heart? You know, it's the last week before school starts. There's a reason why my kids want to be at home with me on Monday, and I'm grumbling about not being able to work on my Sabbath. There's a lot of things that were just, you know, not in alignment there. How am I rejoicing in the Lord in that moment? What kind of example am I setting for my kids? I had to let go of what I thought I needed to happen and to trust God that he will give me enough for me to steward the gifts that he's given me. That my priority that day was to enjoy my kids, was to trust that God will give me the time needed to do what he has called me to do, and that that would give me peace to no longer worry about the result. Friends, there are some of you who may be struggling with much deeper pain and suffering and are in a place where it is difficult it is difficult to choose joy. There are others of us where we are struggling with not feeling motivated to do anything. We are just allowing our lives to go by without any effort or feeling of purpose. And the honest truth is, is that we will all go through different seasons where it may be easier for us to choose joy or it may be dif- more difficult for us to choose joy. And that is why being part of the community of faith is crucial in our faith journeys because when we are struggling with joy, our small group, our community, our accountability group is there to pray for us and to remind us of our identity in Christ and our need to find joy and contentment in Him so that we can experience the peace of God. This promised peace of God that protects our minds and our thoughts in Christ Jesus, this protection comes when we are part of the body of Christ. Left alone, it would be very easy for us to lose sight of our joy in the Lord and to be weighed down by the things of the world. When we choose joy, we can experience the transforming power of joy in our testimonies, in our trials, and in our time. As Paul wraps up his letter to the Philippians, he gives his final set of instructions, again with a set of commands followed by a promise. In verse 8, he lists out eight virtues that should characterize the disciples' thought life. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The way Paul lists these virtues out reminds me of what he did earlier in chapter 2, verse 1. Is done in a rhetorical style designed to capture the attention of the reader as well as to capture the totality of what our thought life should be. Now, this list is different than what we would normally expect from Paul. In his other letters, Paul lists out virtues and vices that describe the righteous and the unrighteous. 
But here, he's listing out virtues that are, would typically be found in some of the writings of the moral philosophers of the day. Now, why is he doing that here? Why is he appealing to the morals and ethics of the surrounding culture and telling the Philippians to think about these things? Friends, I believe the key is found in the command to think about these things. Paul chooses an unexpected word here that has the nuance of to take into account, to dwell on. So what Paul is getting at is that we are to proactively take the things of this world that fits these virtues, the things that are praiseworthy, excellent, etc., and render them, attribute them, see them as coming from God. When we see a piece of beautiful art, or hear a song that touches our heart, or discover something in our research, or see justice demonstrated or exhibited, these reflect the beauty of God, and we are to rejoice in Him about those things. In other words, we are to spend our time, our thought life, dwelling on the things that cause us to rejoice and see them as coming from God. Now, this list can be a helpful diagnostic for us when we think about how we spend our time. Are we stewarding our time in a way that reflects our joy in Him? When we drive around town, fighting traffic as we get to school or to work, are we thinking of things that are just, commendable, praiseworthy, especially when someone wrongs you on the road? When we scroll through our social media on our devices, are we thinking and looking at things that are pure, lovely, and true? When we sit around the dinner tables or in our small groups this week, asking our friends, our family members how they're doing, are we asking each other, what have you seen recently that is excellent or honorable? Paul is making the connection that joy in the Lord can be found on earth. We can find it when we think about and attribute that which is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy in this world, and see it as one of gifts, the gifts from God. And we can find it when we can see others also choose to rejoice in the Lord and follow after them. In verse 9, Paul again emphasizes the importance of living out what is in our hearts that the doing and the being in the Christian life are two sides of the same coin. One cannot exist without the other. That orthopraxy, the practice of living rightly, is just as important as orthodoxy, thinking rightly. We can't just stop at our head knowledge, but that we need to live that out. And Paul sets himself up as the model, that not only has he taught truth, but he has lived it out as well, and the people of Philippi have been witnesses to it. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, do these things, follow me as I follow Christ. The life of a Christian is to be lived out in flesh and blood. It is to be salt and light to the world. It is to be a lamp that is put on a lampstand to shine before others and not to be hidden under a basket. This is an obvious point, but too often in our walk with Jesus, it can be easy to just focus on our head knowledge rather than being the hands and feet of Jesus. And this is the beauty of the incarnation, that the Word became flesh in Jesus Christ, so that what we know about God, His love, His grace, His character, all of Him can be seen in the person of Jesus. Likewise, when we follow him 
and do the things that He commanded us, we are also revealing Jesus to the world. We are His ambassadors. How we steward our time then ought to hold both right thinking and right living in tension with one another, that we don't find ourselves out of balance between the two, but that they should inform one another. That when we deep deepen our study in the Word, it transforms our lives, and people will see that. And as we live out the Word, it gives us more appreciation and depth in our understanding of the Word. Again, this is why being in community is so important in our walks with Him. Throughout this letter, Paul has pointed to the importance of being of one mind, of how our joy is made complete because of one another. Our lives and our faith shape and impact each other. In the same way, being in community is how the life of Jesus lived, is lived out among each other so that we may encourage each other to live in such a way that is characterized by joy in the Lord. And the God of peace will be with you. God promises His peace and His presence. When we choose to rejoice in Him, when we choose joy instead of anxiety, when we choose to trust in His plan rather in our own, when we choose the things that cause us to rejoice in God rather than the things of this world that appeal to our flesh. You see, in many ways, the last two years have been a visible reminder of how important it is to be in person when it comes to Christian community. Now, I, I love technology <clears throat> and the benefits it can bring to us. By God's grace, He sustained us in the online ministry during the toughest times of the pandemic. But if there is one lesson I think we can all agree is that nothing can re replicate the in-person nature of the Christian walk. Whether it's the worship, the preaching, the small group life, or prayer, we are designed, we've been created to do this life in physical community. And when we look at the world around us today, it can be difficult to find things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, etc., isn't it? When you look at the news and what's going on, it's just full of seemingly the opposite. Even what is true is constantly being attacked and twisted. And this is sometimes why, you know, I, I just have to click on those cat videos and why they're so popular, because they're just pure at heart, aren't they? We've seen the impact of when we don't think of these things that Paul listed out in verse 8, when our minds are full of fear, paranoia, anxiety, suspicion, distrust, and anger. We see the impact being that the country and our communities are being pulled apart. Relationships between friends and families strained. And if we are honest with ourselves, it's because all of us have, in one sense or another, misplaced our joy. We try to find our joy in other people, in other relationships, in politics, in the tribes that we can identify with or feel accepted in. Even the pursuit of joy and pleasure itself, we will fail to receive the peace that comes we can only find our joy in the Lord. Consider how you're stewarding your time. Are you taking the time to consider how your faith is impacting our brothers and sisters? Are you making time to invest in other, others' faith journeys, to be a disciple, to disciple someone else, to safeguard what we are thinking about and looking at so that we are placing our joy in the Lord and not in anyone or anything else? Church, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 
wherever you find yourself today, whether it's um, starting school, a new school year tomorrow, whether it's wrestling with kids, sickness, family relationships being strained, whatever is going on in your life, know that God is with you, that you are able to go to him, to lay your requests, let your requests be made known to him, and that he will give you the joy that will sustain you. As a prophet, Habakkuk declares in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. When all the things around us have failed, have gone away, have disappointed us, are no longer able to be trusted, are broken, may our joy be found in the Lord, a joy that transforms our testimonies, our trials, and our time. Let us go to him in prayer. Gracious God, our Father, our provider of all of our needs, and Father, I, I confess myself that there are days and times in which I find my joy in other things. Father, through your word and through your spirit, we ask for your help in helping us to find our contentment and satisfaction in you and you alone. Christ has secured that for us on the cross. He has given us his spirit so that we may be able to choose joy when it is hard, when it is difficult, when we don't want to, when we don't desire it, help us transform our hearts and their desires to be only after you so that we may find our joy and contentment in you and you alone. May you be glorified for your glory and our joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.